Okay, so I was going to preach from Romans this morning. Um, if I had preached from Romans this morning, we would have finished Romans 13, which would have been a nice uh, ending spot. Not, not we would have finished Romans, we would have finished chapter 13 of Romans, which then we could take a break starting next week for Advent and pick up with only 14, 15, and 16, those three chapters left in 2013. It was just going to be neat and tidy, and that's how I like to do things. Um, but this week and just knowing as I do a lot of beneath the surface things of our lives and your lives, I came across this psalm, Psalm 107, and it just felt like this would serve you best this Sunday. Uh, So I hope you don't mind that I'm taking an early break from Romans, and we will look at this entire psalm. It's it's 43 verses, so we won't be able to comb through each verse. Um, I think that this is going to be helpful for you. Now, I know often I talk about suffering as though we're all just entrenched in horrible suffering and it can sound bleak. And I don't mean it to sound bleak or depressing, but, you know, we're in the holiday season now. We just came through Thanksgiving and we're heading into Christmas time. And um, everywhere you look, you're going to see signs that you need to be joyful right now. This should be a joyful time of year. You drive down the street of a small town and there's wreaths everywhere and you start to see the lights everywhere and it starts to feel like celebration on TV. Everything's going to be seeming like joyful celebration in the stores and the advertisements. This is to be a joyful time of year. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's what this is about. Now I know that not everyone in our church feels joyful these days. I know that for a fact. So I don't mean to, this isn't to say, oh, everybody's doing terribly, it's terrible holiday season. I just know the reality of it is we love Christmas time and it's great. We love Jesus, but I know that some of you are struggling with some really, really serious suffering. So this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a celebratory psalm, but it's all about suffering. So it just seems perfect for us right now. I I think it'll be perfect for you. Um, So I want to read again just the first three verses. This is the setup for the psalm. The writer says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. So the Psalms are sort of like the hymn book of God's people, Israel. So this is something meant to be used in worship. This is meant to stir people up. It would be like Grayson or whoever's leading music coming, saying, let's sing to the Lord now. Let's say this, sing this true stuff about God now. So he's gathering the people together, you and me, and he's saying, let's give thanks to the Lord. Because he's really, really good. Because his love is, is steadfast, it's faithful, it's always, it's consistent. He always loves us and it lasts forever. It had no beginning, it has no end, it's just God's love is awesome. So let's come together and let's say so. Let's sing about this. Let's tell people about this and rejoice in this. And in the very next verse, when he gets in to begin saying so, What does he say? What's he going to talk about? Did you notice it in verse 4? 
Okay, transition from the invitation to praise God for his awesome love. And then the content of it is, verse four, some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Now that doesn't seem like the content of our praise songs typically, does it? He's gonna give four scenarios of real deep suffering. There was that one in verse four, wandering, hungry, and thirsty, and lost. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. All right, this praise song is so uplifting, isn't it? Let's praise God because his love is good. It is steadfast. It endures forever. Remember when we were lost, wandering around in the desert with no food or drink and didn't know where to go? Remember when we were imprisoned and in irons and bowed down, overloaded with labor and slavery? Another one in verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Remember when we were so sick and because of our sin, we were just a mess, we couldn't even eat? God's love is steadfast and sure and good. Last one in verse 23, or the fourth one. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea, They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. So here we're invited to praise God. His love endures forever, it's steadfast, he's good. But the content of our praise is focusing back on all of the really, really dark times of real suffering. See, as Christians, we don't need to wait until there is no suffering to be able to be joyful and thankful. We don't need to expect that there will be no suffering. Suffering is not a diversion from real life in which God makes things wonderful for us. Suffering is a central part of our joy in the Lord. So how many of you you had one of your Thanksgiving meals. How many of you had multiple Thanksgiving meals with like multiple parts of your family? Not as many as I thought. Okay. I bet you packed in enough with your one meal. Did any of you go around the table and everybody say something you're thankful for? Does any of you folks do that? A couple? Not very many. You should consider it. We did that at my family's house and we went around and, um, you know, it's always good you know, everybody's thankful for the family and for the food, and the kids always say off-the-wall things. And um, But we got around to one member of my family who, I know this guy. I know what he's been going through. It has been dark, difficult times for him for a, for a while. And he, you know, he came up with something that was, was good, and he was, you know, sincere. It was good. But I noticed that all of our Thanksgiving steered far, far from the suffering. I know everybody around the table was suffering in some way or another. 
And it's like, for this holiday, we're going to set that off to the side, pretend that that's not there, and we're going to focus on the good stuff. See, as Christians, we don't need to do that. As Christians, we know that God has that suffering in our lives for our joy. He has it in there for a reason. So what I have for you from this chapter is 43 verses, so I kind of synthesized it down. I just have three truths that I think will help you if you're suffering this holiday season. Okay? So I usually like to work verse by verse through, but this this week I'm just going to, from this passage, give you these three things that I think are true and I think they're going to help you if you're suffering. All right? So the first one, God's love shines brightly in the darkness of our suffering. God's love shines brightly in the darkness of our suffering. Why would the psalmist point back to the dark days when trying to stir his people up to worship? Because it's in the dark times that God's able to come in and and his love for us is the brightest. It's in when you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're lost and you're wandering that his guidance and his satisfying goodness shines. It's when you're entrapped in your own self-imposed problems because of your sin and foolishness, that his discipline and his deliverance shines the brightest. When you're sick because of your sin and your foolishness, that his healing and his forgiveness shines the brightest. It's when you're in that storm-tossed terror where everything's out of your control and you have no idea how you're going to make it through, that his sovereignty shines the brightest. Who do you know that deeply and truly loves the Lord? Think of the person that most exemplifies what mature, well-rounded Christianity looks like. I can almost guarantee that that person has also been through extremely deep suffering. The people that come to my mind, I know, have also gone through extremely deep suffering. We like to think that God's going to show us his wonders as we live a steady, comfortable life. But usually it's through the extreme highs and lows of suffering and and seeing his deliverance that he does his most miraculous work in our lives. I mean, we're not sure who wrote this psalm, but think about David who wrote many of the psalms. David was a man after God's own heart, and David suffered. Extreme family turmoil, the pressure of leadership being the king, extreme difficulty and complication and just a mess that he made by his own sinful decisions. You read through the Psalms and it's extreme in its emotions, highs and lows. So we don't need to set our suffering aside to be joyful. We don't need to pretend it's not there. We can bring it in and sit it as a centerpiece on our table because God means for it to be a centerpiece of what he's doing in our lives. So God's love shines brightly in the darkness of our suffering. The second truth for you 
Today's suffering is tomorrow's rejoicing. If you are a Christian, I can tell you this with, with certainty. The suffering of today will be for you the rejoicing of tomorrow if you are a Christian. And I don't say that to downplay your suffering. I mean, I know that many of you have experienced things that I have experienced nothing like it. So I'm not here to say your suffering is not that bad. Your suffering is that bad. But as God's people, we know that he works all things together for our good. I can attest to this. I, like I said, I haven't experienced what some of you have, but there was one period in my life that was by far the darkest, the most painful, the most challenging, the most humiliating, excruciating. I wouldn't want to go back and experience that time in my life again. But when I look back, that is the, by far, the tallest monument to God's love for me is that time in my life. You know, do any of you ever question your salvation? Does that ever wash over you? Do you think, am I even a Christian at all? Maybe not. Sometimes that happens to me. When I look back, do you know what I see that confirms for me that yes, I am? It's that time in my life that was so horrible. It stands, I mean, it's not even a comparison. I didn't really even understand that until I was preparing for this sermon and reading this psalm. I didn't even realize how important that time has become to me. I have worshipped with more passion in light of what I went through back then than anything else. This is the progression that we see here. The psalmist invites us to praise God and then he looks back to the bad times and he says, it was really bad when we were wandering in the desert places, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, souls fainting within them. But then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. And then note, at the end of each of these little four sections, they transition from past tense to present tense. Well, let me correct that, the first two of these sections. He says, it was really bad. God did really awesome things. He satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. So Christian worship looks back on the bad times, sees God's faithfulness on the bad times and remembers his present day character based on what he did back then in the suffering times. So the way it will work for you and for me, we will go through really dark times. God will enable us to endure. He will deliver us. He will bring us through. And thereafter, we will always have that memory to look back on when we need to remember that his love is steadfast and he's faithful and true. And then we can move forward into the future with hope. Now we short circuit that whole system when we remove suffering from the conversation and try to pretend it isn't there or try to medicate it away. God has purposes in it. So remember, this is where journaling and telling stories is helpful. I, I came from a family that tells no stories. I don't know anything 
about my childhood, about my parents. My wife knows more than I do because she came from a family that told stories and asked questions. The Broadways don't tell stories or ask questions. So she came into the family. She was like, oh, your grandpa, he's this age. Was he, uh, you know, in one of the wars? I was like, I don't know. We don't talk about it. (laughs) We don't talk about anything. We talk about, you know, movies or, you know, sports or whatever, whatever, whatever's going on. But her family is rich in that they they remember their whole history because they tell these stories. And a lot of them are stories of when God came through. You know, your former pastor, Glennon Balser, my mentor, my um, grandfather-in-law, over Thanksgiving, I got to see him and he was telling stories of uh, just awesome things that God did in his life. And you know what the common thread in all those stories was? All of the, the awesome things God did for him took place in really, really difficult suffering. So today's suffering, if you are a Christian, will become tomorrow's rejoicing. I promise you, if you'll hang in there. Okay, last one. This one you know because we've been in Romans for so long. God is sovereign even when we are suffering. God doesn't cease to be sovereign when we begin to be suffering. He remains on the throne. I want to read to you deeper into this chapter, verses 33 through 38. Speaking of God, the psalmist says, He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. So sometimes streams dry up and things go bad. What's behind that? Chance? God. Sometimes things are fruitful and good. What's behind that? God. Look back at the section with the... uh, when they were in the sea and ships and the waters went crazy and the storms came back in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. What deeds of the Lord? What wondrous works? Verse 25. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. So, you find yourself in a situation that feels similar to this. Like you're out at sea in a ship and the waves are so tall they reach up to the sky you can't even see the sun anymore. And they plummet so deep, it's like they plummet to the depths. It's all more powerful than you, it's all out of your control, and it's all horrible. Has anybody ever been in that that kind of a situation? What's behind that? God. That's a hard reality. But I believe it's true. 
See, what's in me that kicks against this is, no, God can't be behind things that, to put it simply, are bad. God can't be behind things that hurt. It's a hard thing to believe. But what's the alternative? That God is too weak to stop it? That God really isn't in control? That his lordship really doesn't cover everything, it only covers some things? No, our God is sovereign. Even when we are suffering. That's why we can be confident that later we will look back on this suffering and we'll see why and it'll turn to rejoicing. Now here's the really hard part about this. The suffering is very real and the pain is very real and we have no idea how long it's going to last. Take that first section where he talks about them wandering in desert wastes. We don't know for sure if this was talking about the 40 years that they wandered in the desert after the exodus, but it would make sense. That was 40 years. 40 years. Four decades. Where were you 40 years ago? That was 1972. Where were you in 1972? At a disco somewhere? Imagine all that time from 72 to 2012 doing the equivalent of wandering, lost, no, you know, no food, no water, always hungry, always thirsty, unable to find a place to land, 40 years. Sometimes the suffering lasts a long, long time. Okay, this will be even more crushing. I know you guys are like, gosh, give me some encouragement. Before that 40 years, God's people were enslaved under really, really hard labor in Egypt for like 400 years. That means that people were born and died and never knew, never got to see God's deliverance. Can we trust God in that situation? So their suffering didn't turn to their rejoicing. For them today, suffering didn't turn to their rejoicing tomorrow. But their deliverance and what God did through that became the foundation for all the rest of his people's history to look back on. You know, the Passover, it it pointed to Jesus. Everything for God's people pointed back to when he delivered them from Egypt. You see, we are swept up into something so much bigger than we we can fathom. God has purposes in in what's going on in your life that are so much bigger than you can fathom. So I want to encourage you not to shy away from your suffering, not to try to sweep it under the rug, not to try to lessen it by saying, oh, it's not so bad, but to put it in the centerpiece of the table and see what God is doing through it. Because our suffering as Christians is not, um, it's not an embarrassment to us. It's not unexpected. God told us it would happen. It's not out of his control. I heard a song recently uh, by a band called Guster. I don't think that many of you have heard of them. I've always liked them. Um, 
they have lyrics often that sound as though they're Christians. Eventually, I looked it up to see if there were any interviews with them to see if it was a Christian band. They are not a Christian band. Um, everybody in there is Jewish by heritage, but none of them, from what I can tell, have any belief in God. Or I don't know if they'd say they're atheists. They're just disregarded all. But they find what we believe humorous in many ways. So they have this song in their newest CD called Stay With Me, Jesus. And I want to read you the lyrics, and you'll see why I thought, hey, maybe they're Christians. Here's how, here's how they go. I'm not going to sing it. 1945 was the year I was born. My mother died, but left behind a son. You stayed with me, Jesus. Yes, you showed me the way. You flew down from heaven to steal me away. 1959, two cars collide, nine in the crash, and one survived. You stayed with me, Jesus. Yes, I'll testify. You flew down from heaven to keep me alive. 1985, I missed a plane, which then disappeared, never seen again. You came to me, Jesus, stood right in my way. You flew down from heaven to save me again. Everywhere I go, they run in fear. This mortal coil, the end is near. You stayed with me, Jesus. Bow my head and pray. You've come down from heaven to keep me safe. Okay, so you just hear that and you think, oh man, he's thankful that Jesus saved him from these situations. And one of the interviews I found was them asking him about this song specifically. And he was saying, no, actually, I think it's funny when you see news footage of a hurricane that came through and just demolished a town. And then you see somebody out there saying, I just thank God that I'm alive. He sees this hilarious contradiction in believing that God is in control of wiping out a whole town, but spared me and therefore he's good. That line, two cars collide, nine people died, but I survived. So God's good. What about the other eight? See, people outside of what we know as Christians think that this is absurd. Either God is good and powerful or not. And since suffering exists, many people think, well, God must either not be good or he must not be powerful. But we know as Christians that he is so good and so powerful that suffering is his servant to bring about his purposes in our lives and in the reality as a whole. So I I just want to encourage you with this. If you are going through dark times right now, or if you know someone who's going through a dark time right now, God may be setting the stage to do something more glorious in your life than you've ever experienced before. As God's child, you can rest assured that today's suffering will be tomorrow's rejoicing. You will look back on this one day and see God's steadfast love because he is sovereign even when we're suffering. Let's pray. Father, you say in this psalm that whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So we've taken a few moments to consider. We see that in history, your love is steadfast and you are certain and you are faithful. But we also see that you allow your people to go through some really, really difficult things. So right now, as we're all together, we brace ourselves and we look to you and we trust you. 
And I just ask on behalf of your people, for those who are suffering right now as we head into Christmas, that they would not feel like they need to run from their suffering, that they would not feel like they need to um, distract themselves from it, but that they can look at dead in the eyes with courage and strength and endurance, knowing that you are God and you are sovereign. Lord, we do give you thanks. You are good. I just ask for joy for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Sound good?